Good morning. Today is Wednesday the 23rd of September and we are celebrating International Day of Sign Languages. International Day of Sign Languages was first celebrated in 2018 as part of International Week of the Deaf. International Week of the Deaf was first celebrated in 1958 and has evolved into a global movement of deaf unity and concerted advocacy to raise awarenesses of the issues that deaf people face in their everyday lives. The International Day of Sign Language is a unique opportunity to support and protect the linguistic identity and cultural diversity of all deaf people and other sign language users. Good day. Um, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a former lecturer of mine, Professor Claudine Storbeck. She is the Director for the Centre for Deaf Studies at WITS and the Director of High Hopes, an early intervention partner for families of deaf and hard of hearing babies and a world specialist in deaf education. She is also the Visiting Professor from the University of Manchester, International Sign Language Interpreter, Assessor, John Maxwell coach, speaker and trainer, and just because that's not enough on her CV, she's also the co-author of Mpumi and Jabu's Magical Day, which is a podcast series called The Magical Teaching Journey. Claudine is a champion for the cause of the deaf community by ensuring that all babies and children are given equal access to education and opportunities in order to reach their full potential. Claudine also advocates for universal screening to detect deafness in newborns before they are discharged from hospital. Good day, Prof. Hello. So, Prof, I think that the way I wanted to start the discussion, you know, based on our interactions during the lectures for the MEC, is that the one thing that you stressed that really stuck with me is that when we look at the hearing impaired population, the frustration that that population have with not being heard by the hearing population mm. really stuck with me. So mm. it's almost as we, we as the population who are hearing, do mm. not hear the population who are hearing impaired. So in terms of your experience, what do we need to take from this to assist the hearing impaired population to be heard? Yeah. So let's start by saying deaf people refer to themselves as deaf with a capital D. So um, the frustration is number one, access to information and, and communication that hearing people provide. So everything is over radio, TV that they can't access. That's number one. Number two, they communicate experientially so beautifully. Their language is rich, but hearing people don't understand. Mm. I'd like to give you an example. It's quite a tragic example, but um, someone reached out to me after four or five years of trying to reach out and finding someone to listen to them about about 30 children that have been abused over 13 years in the Newcastle area. This young man is a deaf teacher and he had written to every organization, every government department, and no one even replied. And he's a educated deaf man who reads and writes English and even so they wouldn't listen to him and I think maybe it's because people assume deaf people don't know and so eventually got hold of me and I am not a quiet shy person and people wouldn't even listen to me because it's as if the plight of the deaf deaf people are they seen as secondary citizens? I don't know. But deafness is invisible. So you don't see someone who's disabled and think, oh, shame, you know. But it's definitely true. The voice of deafness is not heard. And I can tell you from experience that even when I fight for it, it's really hard to get people to take deafness and deaf people seriously. That's indeed very tragic, Claudine. Um, 
on that note, I think it's very important that we just let everybody know that this interview has been done in sign language and is available on YouTube because it's very important to us that we are inclusive. So if people head over to our YouTube channel at Society Superheroes, rather our Facebook page that is, they will be able to enjoy the interview with you signing it. So before Luke um, comments, uh, it's just very important to note that. Yes, thanks so much for that. I think the the one thing I mean I spent I've spent many years in child in the child protection field and you know the the ability for uh, hearing impaired children particularly to access the criminal justice system and mm. in all its forms is almost impossible but the I think the important thing to stress more generally is that you know the one thing you said is that the assumption is that deaf people don't know mm. now the the thing about that is uh, I think back to when I was a child where the idea of muteness yes. was about not the ability to speak, but muteness was equated then with people being dumb. Yeah. And in fact, the words deaf and dumb were mm. um, common practice when I was a child. So how do we start addressing the fact that your, your lack of a voice that people can hear mm. and understand is something that does not equate to a lack of intellectual ability? Yeah, I think that's very important. Language is more important and more powerful than we think. And because of the neurological processes that we have, things that we hear and say, we become to believe. And so like you say, dumb before was defined as mute, but it's become to mean dumb, you know, hitting the head. Um, how do we challenge that? The, the bias and perception of people is extremely hard to challenge because we have this ingrained. South Africa particularly happens to be a critical um, community of people who have various judgments. Um, I think when you have situations like COVID, mm. that has put deafness at the forefront because of all our amazing sign language interpreters. Mm. And when deaf people have that opportunity, they really get out there. And so that has given us an opportunity to change perceptions. Deaf people are extremely resilient. So they don't actually take no for an answer typically. They don't take offense. They are the ones that are always trying to reach out. Hearing people are scared of deaf people. And sometimes it says more about the hearing person than about the deaf person if you don't go up and don't talk to them. How do we change this perception? I think that's why I'm in the field. I believe I was born for this, to, to keep working at it. Um, we currently have two deaf people at the Centre for Deaf Studies who've just graduated with their PhDs. And so just exposing the hearing world to more and more amazing deaf people who are comfortable in their deaf skin. And I think probably the best way to do it is to start early. And so starting to win over communities and families of little deaf babies. So from the start, you're changing the community. So I think it's going to take a generation. Um, and when parents become advocates and the children just go, so I'm deaf, and they're included in society more. But I think the other thing with South Africa is we probably need to start challenging more proactively the language we use and what we believe and wake up every day and say, today I'm going to connect with someone I have a prejudice about. So it's a hard question. Thanks, Luke. And I think that the, the one thing that really strikes me about the, certainly the early intervention models yeah. is that there's a level at which the, the, there's almost a strange eugenics kind of argument that enters it at some point. Yeah. And the, the argument is whether deafness is something that needs to be cured or is it another way of being in the world that people need to learn yeah. in order to not and it's not even accommodate it's it's fully include those people so that we don't start entering these eugenic debates where again we almost tacitly reinforce the fact that we are kind of almost 
seeing the deaf as lesser than because they've got a defect that needs to be fixed. And I'm sure that creates a huge tension because when you look at things like um, the promotion and fundraising for cochlear implants versus the kind of, re- in inverted commas, remaining yeah. deaf with a capital D, it, it mm. becomes extremely complex, especially for young parents who mm. might be terrified yeah. at the prospect of what uh, being a, a deaf person may mean for their child. Yeah, that's one of the biggest steps we focus on when we work with families is, number one, for, to help them realize that currently deafness cannot be cured at all. So whether you get the best cochlear implant in the world, the best hearing aid in the world, you will always functionally be hard of hearing, mildly hearing impaired wherever you are. So those kids, we assume are hearing, but they have so much pressure and tension because they've got to concentrate so hard to hear they get home and they have little outbursts, emotional stresses, meltdowns. And so, number one, we teach them it can't be cured. Number two, that's the medical model. Mm. The social model is saying, accept your kitty as they are. And we introduce them to deaf culture. We introduce them to the world of the deaf. Whether you choose to sign or speak, whether you choose to speak to your child forever, that hearing, that deaf person who's grown up oral, who's in the hearing world, will go and find deaf people one day, whether you like it or not, because they don't fit in 100%. And then we introduce them to a thing called deaf gain. Deaf people have a gain that hearing people will never understand. And so that deaf way of being gives you so many deaf gains in various ways. And once parents learn to accept that and know my kid is deaf, they change. Mm. And they literally take a, a breathe. It's like, oh, my child is going to be fine. And then we introduce them to a deaf person. So they can just see some funky, amazing, successful deaf person who just loves themselves. Something for me that's been so special and as a hearing person and, and really observing the interaction between hearing people and a deaf person is the barista program. We're going to speak a little bit about your barista program, which is fantastic. I Before COVID, BC, um, I went off to Old Mutual and they have a, a lovely coffee shop and the barista is deaf. And what really struck me, having visited for the first time, firstly was that his colleague, who is hearing, who, who and I, I asked him the question, he had learned so much sign, and I had such respect for that, that he was mm. working to be able to interact and communicate effectively with his colleague. And the other thing that really, really struck me is that it almost seemed that the people who, who are regulars at the coffee shop really saw the, the man who was deaf. They yeah. engaged. They were slowly, slowly learning to say hello and, and to be able to sign their order. And I think that is, is remarkable. And Woolworths ran a very successful program. I don't know what's happened to it, where they they used to have deaf cashiers mm. and also um, deaf packers. And I also found it was it was far quieter when you stood in the queue at Woolworths because people were really observing. So instead of having their minds on a million things, they were actually watching the interaction. Tell us a little bit more about your barista program, and I've enjoyed that delicious coffee, and also the inclusion of deaf people in a situation as at Woolworths and at Old Mutual. Yeah, it's really quite an amazing program that Cyro started many years ago. So they have trained lots and lots of deaf baristas and then they get them into various companies like you said, Old Mutual. So we went to them and said, we want to take it a step further because there is this myth that deaf people can only do menial tasks. You know, let's keep them in the background, packers, you know, tools are great, but yeah, maybe another step forward. So they can do things like being barista because it's a specialist little course. But we went to Sarah and said, not enough. We want to start an entrepreneurial program where 
you know, really give them a job? Surely a deaf barista can then work towards owning his own little barista shop, you know? And so that's the aim. And that's what we're working towards. And um, a really important step is just putting them out there. And then, you know, hearing people realize it's not scary. Um, so the entrepreneurial program is really, really important for us. And the only thing deaf people technically can't do is a policeman and a pilot, because those are the two careers you have to have hearing mm. to engage fully. Other than that, I mean, we deaf doctors, deaf lawyers, deaf people can do anything, but we need to start seeing that. And number one is improving deaf education in South Africa because of access to information and communication. So you say it's a really positive step giving, getting deaf baristas into different businesses. Yeah. And um, it's a, a very successful model. Mm. We are going to put your details onto our Facebook page so that if there are any companies out there that would really like to engage and potentially employ the services, or not even really employing the services because you just um, make space available for the deaf barista, that would be a great start. Yeah, happily, definitely. And, you know, people who are saying we want to start a little coffee shop, how can we do it? We'll be able to place people and we'd be able to support them. We, like we said, we've got this partnership with Syrah and so helping set up. But the, the key thing for us is just really teach a man to fish because it's really great to give someone a job. But really, you know, let's get out of that mentality. So please contact us. You might want to invest. You may want to employ someone. And all the people are already trained. So they come to us already trained and powerful and strong. They come to us as a halfway house where they start practicing. We teach them the skills of how to budget, how to plan, stock, managing things. And then they're ready to step out. So my final question, uh, Prof, is that the one thing that I noticed in a lot of the, the, the deaf children who were referred to me, number one is mm. that they were quite at risk for being harmed. Yeah. And they were quite at risk for being harmed physically, interestingly. Yeah. And what, one of the things that really, really struck me was the, the fact that the, particularly the deaf child, their behavior is communication. So let's forget about sound and cochlear yeah. implants and all of those kinds of things. And their behavior, because of the levels of frustration about being able to communicate what their needs are and having those needs adequately met by the adults around them, caused enormous behavioral challenges according to the adults they were dealing with, obviously led to kind of barriers to learning. So my, my question is really, what do we do in terms of the adults who interact with deaf children to assist them to understand the behavior of the child as a communication rather than seeing it as something that's defiant? Mm. That's the most wonderful thing that I've recently learned is say what you see. So when you look at a child, I am a judgmental person, I know. So I'm like, that's a naughty child, that's a brat, oh my word. But actually, when you step back and go, what am I seeing? I am seeing a child who's throwing a temper tantrum and is angry. That's what we see. And then you think, wow, what is the child's position? So learning to say what you see, let's not superimpose what we're seeing, but extreme frustration and the deaf are vulnerable. They are silenced because they can't communicate. They are targeted. Um, and then we need to understand that parents and maybe teachers, I'm not condoning it, but people are frustrated when engaging with them and in times of frustration, people lash out. Yeah, it's a vulnerable community. And again, let's not forget, but an example of how the system is against them, social workers apparently can't bring in an intermediary, they say. So social workers refuse to see deaf children because they can't bring an interpreter in, or they will, and then they'll kind of mom and say they've seen the deaf child, the deaf child seems fine, which is totally bizarre. 
Um, so I think for the system to be a little bit more flexible in understanding the child's right to access of information that supersedes the let's not bring an intermediary, because that's a human right. So I think it's a combination of a few things. Thanks, Prof. So we could talk all morning, as you know, and we're going to have to wrap it up. But just the, the one thing that I'd like to just ask you, you know, we've spoken so much about the deaf communities community's resilience and and i'd really like to talk about humor you started <laughs> at st vincent school for the deaf yes. and it was the children who taught you your first sign languaging Correct. but they also taught you things as we always do whatever language we speak the first thing we'll teach other people are swear words so yes the children did um did teach you some things that perhaps they shouldn't have and you got into a bit of trouble with that oh my word I think when I got there, I was about 20 when I started, and they probably looked at me as the, the someone that they could just pounce on and teach everything. So I learned to sign the deaf way, not the hearing way. So I have mannerisms, and I know the deaf slang. And one of the examples I can give you is the sign for mistake is very similar to the sign for sex. And if you don't understand the li linguistic differences... So they always taught all the new teachers that. But fortunately, I could see it. But they just love teaching people um, mistakes like that. But can I add one more thing? Please. So part of the dichotomy of the medical world and the social world that, that you mentioned, Luke, is bringing it all together. Mm. Because it is a very separated community. A lot of fights. And so recently I started a thing called an ecosystem where we're bringing all stakeholders together onto the same ecosystem, the same platform, so that we could start giving everyone equal voice. So it's an ecosystem for family-centered early intervention where the family and child are central and everyone else is seen as a supporter of, as opposed to a full stakeholder and leader in the field. So I think I'm quite excited about this bringing together. Claudine, thank you so very much. Just to remind everybody that this interview, this podcast is available in sign language on our Facebook page at Society Superheroes. And the other thing we'd really encourage you to do, it's Deaf Awareness Month and High Hopes have, have created the most incredible content. Go and have a look. They've got the news in sign language, they've got prepositions and they've got mini sign language lessons. We'll add the link to that as well. Claudine, thank you so much for your time and it's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Prof. As always, an absolute inspiration and hence one of our legendary superheroes. Good Thank luck with you your for work. this opportunity. Thank you very much. As we conclude our discussion on sign language, we would like to remind our listeners to please listen into one of my favorite Joe Bergians, Charlie Moyo, on Sunday the 27th of September, where we will be discussing tourism. Please do follow us on Facebook and remember we are at Society Superheroes. <laughs>